Well, good morning. So this past week, I was hanging out with a couple of our staff members, and uh, it felt like a little bit of a time of confession absolution. They decided to share with me that they realized their kids are actually better at listening during church than they are, and they actually struggle with not checking their phones while Tim and I are preaching. And I said, but, but Miss Kelly, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I said, but aren't we so captivating that you just can't help but to listen to us and to pay attention? And they both looked at us like, no, no. And it just reminded me of something that I learned in seminary, how, you know, they used to talk about only preaching as long as people's attention spans would be. If that was correct, we would be done right now. Yeah. Right? Let's be honest. And so what they say is the reality is our brains can no longer focus for that long. So what happens is we, our brains actually self-interrupt. So I don't know if you've ever noticed this about yourself, but maybe you're doing something at work or you're really focused on something, and for whatever reason, you just, have the, you just have to check your phone. It didn't buzz, it didn't ring, it didn't do anything else, but you're just convinced you have to check it, otherwise you might miss something. Anybody ever had that before? That's your brain literally saying, I can't focus this long, do something else. And so it self-interrupts. It's pretty interesting how that works. And what I, what I find even more interesting is distractions and interruptions and getting kind of off course, it's not new. Now, sure, it's gotten a lot worse with technology and all these things that, you know, we have to distract us, but really, just getting distracted away from what we should be focused on, it's not new. And today, as we wrap up our series in Nehemiah, we're going to see that, that even so many years ago, they struggled with the same thing. So if I haven't got a chance to meet you yet, my name is John. I get to be the teaching pastor here. If you're a guest with us here, thanks so much for coming and hanging out with us today. If you're joining us on live stream, thanks for joining us there as well and checking us out. I pray that someday you get to come and hang out with us here because trust me, it's a whole lot more fun here than on screen, right? Right? See, they said it. You believe it. Uh, so make sure you come and hang out. If you're uh, here and you're guests and you haven't gotten a chance to meet me, we'll be outside uh, after the service. We've got free coffee and cookies and all that good stuff out there as well. So come say hi. So today we are wrapping up our series in Nehemiah. This is week seven, and we're in Nehemiah chapter 13. So I encourage you to do is take, take out the Bibles. They're either in front of you or underneath the chairs. It's on page 408. And I, I guess I could tell you, or you can take out your phones and go to your Bible app and Bible app only. This is not the time to set your fantasy football lineup. Check your email or Facebook. Oh, Jesus knows. If you're online, you can go to BibleGateway.com as well and check it out there. That's where you can find. We're on Nehemiah chapter 13. And here's what I would ask is as we consider this idea about getting distracted away from what God wants us to do, we're going to first ask ourselves what the same question we've been asking ourselves all series long, what does God want to rebuild in your life? Because here's what we've experienced for the first 12 chapters. We've experienced God rebuilding the people of Jerusalem. But not just the people of Jerusalem, God's people, his people. And so what does God want to rebuild in your life? He rebuilt a wall with them. He rebuilt them as a community and as a people. And in chapter 12, 11 and 12, we even heard last week from Pastor Tim how they spent so much time worshiping and praising God and thanking them. And really, Nehemiah's goal with that was to put all the focus back on God, that all of this comes from God. All the good, all the miracles, all the things that happen in our life comes from God. So as we consider this idea of being distracted, what I would ask you is, what is it that distracts you from the miraculous works that God has done in your life? What is it that distracts you from the miraculous works that God has done in our family story? 
So I get it. It's, it's maybe easier here when you're here on a Sunday morning to think through and to really evaluate your life and to be encouraged by what's happening in here. You know, as I'm up here preaching or as we're singing or as, you know, we all have these people, amazing people around us who are interacting with us as well. It might be really easy to kind of stay focused in on what God wants for our lives. But then comes Monday and then the next week and the next week after and the month after and the year after. And will today go by and be just another Sunday? Will it be just another message that goes in one ear and eventually out the other? Will this be a series that you eventually forget about and it does nothing to change your life? And my prayer is that today we can solidify that we are going to continue to allow God to work. And just as he worked in and through his people so many years ago to rebuild a wall that had been broken down for 140 years, he miraculously rebuilt it through people who had no idea how to rebuild it in just 52 days and then reassembled his people for an ultimate purpose way beyond even them. That is the same God that continues to work in and through me and you. And if that's the case, and I'm convinced that we are doing this series right now because God wants to do something in your life and through you right now. And right now we've been on a journey, a 52-day journey of seeing what is it that God is doing and how is he going to work. Two weeks ago I made that challenge to you. We have 38 days left to see what God is going to continue to rebuild in your life. And maybe for you it's a relationship that's been broken down. Maybe it's your finances or your family or something at work, something at school. Maybe it's your faith life. But I'm convinced that God wants to rebuild something in your life. And as God does that, here's the thing, I don't want you to get distracted away from the miracles he's about to do. I pray and hope that he's already been working in your life the last couple of weeks and that he will continue the next 38 days and well beyond that. What I don't want you to do is to forget what God is about to do because that's what we see happen in Nehemiah 13. Literally, the people had just done all this worshiping and praising and thanking God for all that he had done. And then Nehemiah went, actually went back to the king that he had been serving as the cupbearer to. That's where all this started, seven weeks ago when we started talking about this. As he, re- he returned, and he comes back to Jerusalem to check on how things are going. What Nehemiah quickly realizes is that God's work can quickly be forgotten. God's work can quickly be forgotten. What God wants to do and what God has done And we see that in the lives of his people here. He had just done such miraculous works. And now they're already forgetting it. They're already forgetting it. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see Nehemiah responding to this because what's happened is that temple that had been put back together, that they had worshipped in, that they had seen as their source of hope, and as reconciliation is bringing them back to be the people of God, they've now started to desecrate to make a joke and a mockery of it, to go against what God had wanted for their lives, to do the very things that they had been told to not do, that they had seen their ancestors do. The reason that they were sent into exile in the first place, that their ancestors were sent out, that the walls were destroyed, they were doing some of the same things. And so what we see in Nehemiah 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 9, is we see in Nehemiah starting to put this back together. Can you go to that slide, please? 13, verse 9. It says, then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. So here's what he's doing. He's restoring what God had called him to rebuild and restore in the first place. Here's what I would challenge ourselves. Are we going to go through today and the next few weeks and are we going to allow it to change our forevers or just be about getting through today? 
What Nehemiah was focused in on here is it's not just about right here and right now, because frankly, he's fighting against not only them going the wrong path, but really undoing the fact that they had done anything. It doesn't matter if the walls have been rebuilt, if the people continue to go against what God wants, if they continue to destroy what's been put back in place. And so we see him with a passion, continue to want to rebuild it. And so he reminds them that they're struggling with the same sins and struggles of the past. We see in verses 17 and 18, the next slide, he says, Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? The Sabbath day was God's way of saying, you need to rest. Take a day off and worship me. Spend time with me. That's it, right? Tough tough rule. Tough rule to follow. No, they're profaning. They're going against it. And he said, did, you, did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? And now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath? He's saying, look, you've, you've seen the effects of this before. You've seen the path that it leads to. We had to rebuild this wall because of this. Because of these kinds of choices that go against what God wants for your lives. Why? Why would you go down that same path again? Why would we undo all that God has done through this? Just to go through the same suffering and pain again? But let's be real as we look at our lives. Think about even growing up. How many times do you tell yourself, as you looked at your mom and your dad or your grandparents or your family, and you said, I'm not going to live like that. I'm not going to do that. When I grow up, I'm not going to be a parent like that. Anybody ever said that? Yeah. And then how many of you are like that? Uh Uh-huh. I remember looking at even my mom who would get into credit card debt, and that was one thing I just couldn't stand. And guess what I did? Got into credit card debt. It's so hard to not follow those same paths of the past. This is what he's calling out in here. So he's not just trying to put it together, but he's trying to move them forward and to help them realize you can't just fall backwards into the old habits of the past if you want to truly, truly move forward in what God has called you to. And so what he does is he starts to set up structures in place to protect God's people. See, these are God's people, but these are Nehemiah's people. These are the people that he loves so much that he works side by side with to rebuild this wall. He, he sweat right beside him as they laid brick after brick. He was doing everything he could in order to restore this people, so he had a passion for them. A passion to help them to go beyond not just getting through today, but living for eternity. And so what he does is he shows us that faithfulness takes vigilance. Takes vigilance in how we're going to live our lives day in and day out. You go to the next slide. Day in and day out. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to put things in place to protect ourselves, to protect our family, to protect what's going on. And so what we see in verses 19 and 20 through 22 is we see him do just this. So they're having a problem keeping the Sabbath. He's going to help them with that. It says, as soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside the gates of Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them. Now, I want you to hear this. I think Nehemiah had a little bit of a temper. Okay, I warned you. I said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. 
It worked. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Faithfulness takes vigilance. This isn't just going to happen on a whim. This isn't just going to happen because today you have some aha moment or some Jesus high moment where you go, oh, wow, I get it. And then tomorrow you go back to living just the way you've always been living. It doesn't happen that way. Nehemiah sets guards in place. He shuts the doors. What doors need to be shut on your lives? What are things happening in your life that you know are not good for you? You know it's not what God has called you to. What things are you saying yes to for your kids or grandkids or for those around you that you should be saying no to? What doors need to be shut? What guards need to be put in place? He didn't mess around. He didn't just tell them, stop doing that. Start recognizing the Sabbath. No, he closed the doors. He threatened people. <laughs> okay, maybe don't do that, but... It's the reality. It's his passion. Of this is how important this is. Why? Because it's not just about right here and right now. God has a plan bigger than that. Now, as we talk about Nehemiah having some passion... Uh, I'm going to warn you, there are certain things in Scripture that are prescriptive and other things that are descriptive. Prescriptive means it's being prescribed, this is how you should live. Descriptive is just saying, this is what they did. You guys fair enough? Okay, so we see Nehemiah's passion in verse 25, and I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. <laughs> so I, I did the warning. I'm not telling you to beat anybody or pull out their hair, but here he is. This is how passionate he is for God's people and their future. This is what it did to him. He was enraged. I tell you, sometimes as a leader, things don't go your way. You go, ah, pull out hair. No, you want to, but that's not how it works. But this is his passion for his people because faithfulness takes vigilance. It takes planning. It takes dedication. It also takes learning. Learning from yesterday to make a better today and so nehemiah kept calling back to them over and over again remember remember what you've already done you go to the next slide remember what you've already done remember what other people have already experienced when they've tried your path and your ways it hasn't worked for them why do you think it's going to work for you he very bluntly puts it them in his passionate plea to them. Uh, in the next set of verses in 26 and 27, he says, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Now, ladies, it's not saying women are all sinful. It's not that. Uh, but there was a command that God had that they were not to uh, uh, marry uh, foreign women nor give their daughters to marry for foreign guys. Why? I don't have that info for you. That's a whole different sermon we can deal with later. But the point is, is that God knew what was best for them, and he gave them that command. And so what Nehemiah is doing, he goes, did not Solomon try this? Now Solomon, the wisest man who had ever lived, again, descriptive versus prescriptive. So we, we have a lot of Solomon's life described to us that we should not follow, that we should not do. And he's going, look, among the many nations, there was no king like him. And he was beloved by his God, and God made him king over all of Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made even him to sin. So he tried it. He tried to go down that path that you're trying to go down. Didn't work for him. And so he says, shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? Should we just do all this stuff? 
that he's already tried to do, that other people have tried to do, and all it does is lead us down the wrong path to the same problems over and over and over again? Or do you think we're special that somehow it's not going to impact us in the same way? Now, I get it. Our sin today isn't marrying foreign women, right? That's not a law for us. It's not something we need to concern ourselves with. But what is it for you? What are those things that you continue to try to do over and over and over again that you've seen in your own life, you've seen in other people's lives, you've seen in our family story that it's not the way God wants us to live and it never, never works out. And yet, in your pride and in your boldness, you think, oh, I can handle it. I can do it. Nehemiah's calling him out and going, look, Solomon couldn't do it. Why? Why do you think you can handle this? So as we've gone through 12 chapters in Nehemiah, what I love is that it doesn't stop at the rebuilding of the wall, the rebuilding of God's people, or even the worship of God. It goes the next step and goes, look, it's, it wasn't just about that. It wasn't just about the rebuilding of a wall, or even just the putting back together of the people. See, so the reason that 13 is in here is to show us that what God begins through you will continue beyond you. What God is beginning through you today and through this entire series, God wants to take it beyond you. Let's think about this. These were God's people that he reassembled, that he put back together. It was through them that he gave us Jesus. It was through them that he gave us a Messiah. Nehemiah was so vigilant and so meticulous in his dedication to putting them back in place and to putting them back in line with what God wanted for them and for their lives. Why? Not just so that they could have a good day today, but that so we could have a good day forever. See, in and through them, in and through this plan, God had a long-range plan. And he desired to do more than just rebuild a wall. He desired to save his people us. And so what we see in the last couple of verses in Nehemiah 13 is we see Nehemiah continue to leave us with that thought. I think so many powerful things have happened in this book, and yet these are the last couple of verses we get from Nehemiah. It says, thus I cleanse them from everything foreign, and I establish the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his work, and I provided for the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits. What I love is that it leaves us with his work to ensure that what God has begun will continue beyond them. He cleansed them. He established the duties that needed to be done. He set them up for success in the future. And then in the very last line, he says, remember me, oh my God, for good. It's incredible to me that Nehemiah accomplished so much. So much he sacrificed for, he fought for, on the front lines doing whatever it would take in order to reestablish God's people. And yet he still prays that prayer, remember me, oh my God, for good. You know why? Because he knows it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to go off the rails again. It's so easy for the people to continue to go backwards instead of towards what God wants for them. And so he prays wholeheartedly in the last verse of his book. Remember me, oh my God, for good. My question to you would be, can, can you pray that prayer? We're all going to fail. We're all going to struggle. But as we go on from this 
point forward, as we move on from this series, are we going to take with us a heart that is changed, a life that is going in a new direction, a path that is renewed and restored, a wall that will not just be a faint memory, a miracle that won't just be a faint memory of something God used to do, but instead a reminder of what God is still doing in our lives going forward. To the point that we will be moving in the right direction. We will be doing what's good and what's right and what God calls for our lives to enjoy. Will we be able to pray because we're going in that direction? Remember me, oh my God, for good. Where are we going to stop just short of that? Because the reality is God's work of restoration is going to continue beyond me and beyond you going to continue beyond me and beyond you and so what i want to ask you is this what are you willing to change today for the sake of their tomorrows the truth is is that this book isn't just for the people that it's written about it's not even just for you and for me there are generations after gener- generations after generations of people who will come after us who need the truth and the power of this word. There are people in your life right now who need to know the miracles of our God, the love that He has for them. So what I'd ask you is, are you going to keep going down the same path of yesterday? Or, if not, What are you going to change today for the sake of their tomorrows? For your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, your fellow students, for those that walk life with you today and every day, what are you going to change today? What are you going to allow God to change today? What new direction are you going to go in today so that the wall that God is rebuilding in your life, what God is restoring and rebuilding in you doesn't die off with you, but it continues on? This was Nehemiah's hope and passion. This is why he would yell and rip out hair because he was so dramatically passionate that this wouldn't just end here. It wouldn't end in just chapter 12 and, well, we'll see how it goes. Instead, he continued to try to rebuild and restore because it goes beyond you and it goes beyond me. And as you think about your kids, as I think about mine, it's a powerful reality to, to, to realize that Everything that I do with my kids, every answer I give them, every directive, everything that we experience together is teaching them and putting them on a path forward. It's putting them on a trajectory forward. And if I'm not taking the time to see where we've come from and to remember that, not get distracted by the things that we think are important, things that are just going to disappear tomorrow, I mean, I think about what are some of the things that we're saying yes to for our kids in their lives, and what it's doing is it's really saying no to things that God wants in their lives. Or what am I saying no to in my world because I'm trying to earn another dollar or get another thing that's just going to get destroyed in the world to come? Things that just pass away, things that just cause more distractions and more angst and more anxiety and more worry. What is it that I keep saying no to that God wants me to do in order to do that? What is it that we're teaching our kids going forward? Our grandkids, the world around us. It happens even in the smallest ways. The other day I uh, was taking uh, out the trash and I was 
piling it up on the trash can. Anybody ever played it? It's like Jenga with your trash. <laughs> Put it up. Is it going to fall? Right? And I did that, and it was way too high. Piled it way too high. Forgive me, waste management. And, uh, and I looked at it, and it's actually my oldest son's job to take the can from our house down to the end of the driveway. And I thought, I have just made this impossible. There is no way I know he's going to come back in and go, nope, not doing it, and I'm going to be stuck doing it. So a couple days later, it was time for the trash to get taken out in the end of the driveway. My son goes out there, and right back he comes in and goes, nope, not doing it. <laughs> it's way too high. Boxes are falling. Dad, I don't know what you did. I ain't doing it. And I was about to get up and just go take care of it. And I thought, man, what am I teaching him? I'm teaching him that if he thinks something's impossible, then it probably is. It's teaching him that I don't think that he could actually figure something out and get creative in order to make it happen. It, it's teaching him that if he doesn't want to do something, somebody else will just pick it up and handle it. And so I said, son, I said, I just want you to realize if you don't go do it, what you're saying is that I should have to do it. And you can see the wheels turning in his head and kind of rolled his eyes a little bit and then walked out the door. He's gone for quite a while and he comes back in with this smile from ear to ear. He's like, Dad, I did it. I got all the way to the end. I dropped a few boxes, but I got it, and I threw it back up there, and it's all, the way, it's all there. I did it. And I was so proud of him, so proud that he would put in the time and the energy to drag that can down there to, to deal with the mess that it was. And on that simple trash day, my son learned some very important parts of life. He learned that even when things look tough, you can figure it out. He learned that one of his roles was to help take care of his family. He learned that you just don't leave things for other people to deal with when you can try and handle it yourself. He learned to love me in a real tangible way that day. Folks, that's a trash day. <laughs> so what I ask for you is, what is it that you want to go beyond you and beyond me? What is it that God is calling for you in your life today? Our God has a plan. A plan that goes far beyond just the wall that he wants to rebuild in your life in 52 days. We've got 38 days left. He's rebuilding. He's repairing. He's restoring. What I would ask you is, how are you going to ensure? How are you going to stay vigilant? How are you going to put the guards up to ensure that it doesn't stop after Christmas? that what God is doing continues day in and day out for your life and then for generations to come. Because what God begins through us, He's going to continue past us, beyond us, to make a difference in the lives of those who will come. He's been in that business for a very long time. That's what He did through Nehemiah and the people who rebuilt that wall. It was about rebuilding a people so that Jesus could come. And when Jesus came, he restored all of us for eternity to himself. And that's why we can go to our God. And I get it. We're all going to fail. Trust me. For as many times as I win like the trash can story, there are ten where I don't. And we fail and we struggle and we make the missteps. But see, the reality is our God is bigger than that. He's got a bigger vision than that. And that's why he gave us Jesus, who died and rose again so that 
we can come to him and turn to him and say, Jesus, this is what we've been struggling with. This is what we've been dealing with. Take it from us. Restore us and let us now move in a new direction. And so we're going to do just that as we prepare our hearts for communion. We're going to turn to our God and lift up to him those confessions that we have on our hearts, those things that we have done that we know are not of what God would want us to do. Let's pray. Father God, God, I thank you so much for Nehemiah. God, I thank you for his testimony, for his work. God, I thank you for the fact that you did so much in and through him, God. Not just rebuilding a wall and a people, God. God, not just a a book in our Bible, but God, a true inspiration that reminds us. Reminds us of what you want for our lives, God. Not to just allow the rebuilding to be done, not just to allow the rebuilding to happen, God, but to make moves and changes in our lives, to stay vigilant, to be on guard, to do everything that we can so that what you are doing in us today will go beyond us tomorrow. And God, we know we've gotten in your way of that. We've gotten in your way even in your rebuilding process. God, even in the last couple of weeks, I know that we've all failed and missed opportunities to allow you to build in our lives. God, we lift you we lift these up to you, God. We lift up our prayers and our confessions to you. God, where we have hurt others and we've hurt ourselves. God, where we have disrespected you and gone against what you want for our lives. God, I ask you to hear our hearts, to unburden us with the weight of the load of our sin. God, to hear our voices now inside us. In this time of quiet, we confess to you, our good and our gracious God. Thank you for your long-range plans. Thank you that it didn't stop at the garden. Thank you that it didn't stop when we started sinning, when we started turning our backs on you. God, thank you that you have such a love and a passion for us, that you have always had a plan in place to bring us back to you. God, thank you for Jesus. That plan made flesh, made new, made, made whole. God, thank you that that plan succeeded and through it and in it and because of it, we now are forgiven. God, thank you for that new life in you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.